0: The top stories from the KCBS radio newsroom. This is the all local. Good afternoon, I'm Brett Burkhart. And for Patty Rising, I'm Megan Goldsby. Here's what's happening. The fentanyl crisis has put some cracks into San Francisco's sanctuary city policy. KCBS's Chris San Carlo reports live the Board of Supervisors debating how to go after drug dealers without ending the sanctuary.
1: Yeah, Megan, there are a lot of people who don't want any meddling with the policy.
4: The sanctuary is under attack. And certain politicians are trying to stoke fear and division, some even trying to collude with the Department of Homeland Security.
1: Sarah Lee is with the Immigrant Legal Resource Center. She was joined on the steps of City Hall for a rally this morning ahead of this afternoon's Board of Supervisors meeting, which features a measure to further cement the policy in place. Supervisor Myrna Melgar uh, says opponents of the policy are using the fentanyl crisis as a wedge.
0: So now we have a terrible fentanyl crisis on our streets, not just in San Francisco, but in every city around the country. But think about cause in effect. Did our sanctuary city cause this? Did that policy cause a fentanyl epidemic?
1: Supervisor Dean Preston says it's outside pressure pushing the conversation.
3: This is not consistent with San Francisco values to start chipping away at our sanctuary policy just because right-wing talking points nationally are trying to make us do it.
1: But San Francisco's DA and some supervisors are pushing for a change that would explicitly reject sanctuary status for undocumented immigrants caught dealing fentanyl, saying many of those dealers are taking advantage of the policy. Reporting live, Chris Ancarlo, KCBS. Thank you, Chris.
5: It's a major milestone in the pandemic recovery. Today, state and local emergency declarations are being lifted. But that doesn't mean the pandemic disruptions are at an end. KCBS's Keith Manconi has more on the lingering challenges facing the Bay Area restaurant industry. You
0: know, a lot of people feel we're out of the pandemic already, uh, but a lot of restaurants are,
5: are still in it. Randy Musterer, owner of the Sushi Confidential restaurants in the South Bay. There's still continued challenges. Uh, you know, staffing is a little bit better now, but now food costs drastically went up. It all adds up to mean that some restaurants remain on the brink, but the pain is not distributed equally.
2: I do think the neighborhoods in San Francisco, we know, are doing much better than that downtown economic core.
5: Lori Thomas, executive director of the Golden Gate Restaurants Association. That's because so many office workers are still working from home and not dining out during the day. New innovations around online ordering and outdoor dining are making a difference, but Thomas says restaurants will need the help of cities to draw back customers.
2: Focus on you know clean and safe areas in the city, uh, making sure that our uh, our mass transport is back to where it was before.
0: Keith Manconi, KCBS. The price tag to repair damage done by the recent storms in the city of Capitola has jumped considerably. KCBS's Jennifer Hodges says that's not expected to slow down the process to rebuild the wharf. Police tape stretches across the cliffs here in Capitola and at the wharf's entrance because of the erosion and damage done by the recent storms. You Stop walk the this?
6: curious. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Stop the curious. Yeah. Overall storm damage costs have gone up here from $2.6 million to $3.4 million with rebuilding building the wharf a high priority. Kylie works at the Capitola Bar and Grill. I think more the fact that it's been here for a while as well, and a lot of people come and just hang out there, and it's like an attraction place.
5: So the wharf obviously sustained really significant damage in the storm on January 5th.
0: The tidal surge ripped away a large portion of the wharf and its pilings. Capitola city manager, Jamie Goldstein.
5: We've saved up local funding, as well as gotten funding from the state of California,
0: And in the most recent federal budget,
5: Congressman Panetta has help us, helped us uh, obtain $3.5 million of federal
0: funding. Repairs could start as soon as this summer and more than likely would take up to nine months. That's
5: what the ocean does. So. Yeah.
0: In Capitola, Jennifer Hodges, KCBS.
5: And With more news, here's Megan.
0: Brett. After months of delays, Oakland is being given final approval to begin sweeping a large homeless encampment under 880. As KCBS's Matt Bigler reports, dozens of people will be displaced.
3: Of the hundreds of people who lived under 880 during the pandemic, about 70 remain in a community they call the Wood Street Commons. Yesterday, a federal judge ruled that Oakland can finally resume clearing that encampment after it showed it has enough shelter beds for the displaced. Homeless advocates like Christopher Bisignati have argued the campers should be left alone. It's really obvious to me that they know how to take care of themselves. They know how to provide for themselves. They know how to interlink with housed folks to create a community that provides mutual support and healing and love. Residents will begin at least seven days' notice of the closure, and the city says it will make reasonable efforts to avoid displacing people during rainy and cold weather. Oakland wants to clear the camp so it can begin building a 170-unit affordable housing complex on the site. Matt
5: Bigler, KCBS. Ski resorts across the Sierra are shut down today because there's just too much snow. Here's KCBS's Jim Taylor. A whole lot of snow
4: falling at Tahoe.
6: Yeah, we got at least a foot overnight. Uh, I know at the higher elevations they probably got probably double.
4: Danielle works at Tahoe Central Reservations over at Palisades Tahoe. Patrick, look out your window and tell me what's going on right now.
6: There's been really blustery conditions. It is blizzarding out here. It is just a crazy day. Our resort is actually closed for the day.
4: Same story at North Star, Sugar Bowl, even Heavenly, experiencing some shutdowns. Patrick does say there's hope for reopening Wednesday, however. We
6: do have another about 35 inches in the forecast currently uh, for today today and into tomorrow. So expect delayed operations tomorrow.
4: Blizzard warning, though, for parts of Interstate 80 and 50 remaining in effect until 4 a.m. Wednesday. Jim Taylor, KCBS.
0: The town of Belvedere has a population of some 2,100 people, an estimated population of several hundred coyotes. Residents claim that's gotten out of control. KCBS's Jeffrey Schaub reports.
5: This is what a pack of coyotes sounds like at nighttime after catching prey. And it's a sound Hans Olmark wants no more. We have seen too many coyotes coming very close to our house and we have this little dog that we are walking and uh, yeah so we feel that it's a problem that has not been resolved Allmark says the animals have been aggressive and should be hunted to uh, actually uh, keep a balance under control nathan good favors trapping or hunting i think is probably a good thing mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that there are hundreds of coyotes on Belvedere Island. But trapping or killing coyotes may or may not be legal, and wildlife experts say the animals hardly ever attack people and are an important part of the ecosystem. Kayla supports that view.
0: It can be really scary to be around wild animals, but really we are wild animals as well and they're just as scared of us as we are of them and we just have to learn to cohabitate.
5: On Belvedere, Jeffrey Schaub, KCBS. A new UC Berkeley poll shows a majority of California voters are worried gun violence will affect them or someone they love. The poll was conducted a few weeks after two high-profile mass shootings in the state, and it highlighted a stark political divide on the issue. Three-quarters of Democrats say they are fearful of gun violence. But Mark DiCamillo, director of Berkeley's Institute of Governmental Studies, says Democrats and Republicans have drastically different perceptions on the impact of gun violence. That was astounding. and. Uh I honestly don't have a clear explanation as to why that is. But IGS co-director Eric Schickler says this really just underscores how deep party polarization is in relation to guns. Just in framing anything that relates to guns, uh, there's just this huge party polarization uh, here in California and probably across the nation as well. It wasn't just a bipartisan divide, I should say. Gender, race, and location were factors, too. Women and people of color were more likely to be concerned about gun violence, as well as those living in suburban and urban areas.
0: California could boost reliability and affordability if our electrical grid was expanded to nearby states. The Department of Energy has come to that conclusion in a new report that was requested by state lawmakers last year. California California would maintain control over energy rates and stay on track to meet clean energy goals if the grid was stretched across the West. California has struggled with grid strain in recent years, and a regional operation involving states like Arizona, Nevada, and Oregon could take off some of the pressure.
5: Gavin Newsom has declared the COVID emergency will expire at midnight tonight. KCBS's Kathy Whitman reports on how the Bay Area economy is recovering from the pandemic.
2: The pandemic has taken its toll on our local economy and recovery has been slow. The Bay Area Council Economic Institute has just released a first-of-its-kind regional economic recovery index to find out how we compare to the rest of the country. And how did we do? Not great. Abby Royce, Bay Area Council Economic Institute research manager, says... The San Francisco metro area scored second to last on the index. This includes Oakland, Berkeley, San Mateo, San Jose and Marin. Part of the reason is that people left the area.
0: San Francisco metro areas collectively lost almost 150,000 people during the pandemic.
2: Royce says that many of those went to Texas, with Austin topping the list for economic recovery. Meanwhile here, jobs are still not being filled to capacity. We still
0: haven't hit pre-pandemic employment. A big part of that has to do with leisure and hospitality, service sector jobs that we've struggled to recoup.
2: The Bay Area does lead the way in venture capital spending, and there is hope on the job front
0: early data from LinkedIn is already seeing like a lot of people changing their location. Some people are coming back.
2: Kathy Whitman, KCBS. BART
0: board director Latifah Simon now running for Congress. KCBS's Margie Schaefer reports she's running for the East Bay congressional seat now held by Barbara Lee, who's running for senator. The 12th congressional district covers Oakland, Berkeley, and San Leandro. It is very Democratic, and candidate Latifah Simon acknowledges its history in her video announcement.
2: This district is the birthplace of the Black Panther Party. We had students in this region who changed the way that the nation thought about what freedom could look like.
0: Candidate Simon is a MacArthur Genius Fellow who was born legally blind and relies solely on public transportation to go about her day. She's also a single mother who spent time in the juvenile justice system and says she will fight for mothers who have lost children to community and police violence. I'm fighting for young people who are black and brown to grow old,
2: just to grow
0: old. Simon is out first in this race with endorsements from Assemblymember Buffy Wicks and State Senator Nancy Skinner and former Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, who, along with Oakland City Council President Nikki Fortunato-Bass, have said they are not seeking the seat. Former Oakland City Council member Lauren Taylor tells The Chronicle he is considering it. Margie Schaefer, KCBS. The majestic beauty of Yosemite just as close as your computer screen. KCBS's Jim Taylor is looking at live high-definition webcam views of the valley. A quartet
4: of high-def webcams delivering state-of-the-art live pictures from one of the most beautiful places on the planet.
6: It's, it's like the greatest collection of scenery in one place that I've ever seen in the world.
4: Yeah, me too. Frank Dean, head of the Yosemite Conservancy, which set up these webcams. I'm
6: really
2: excited about about the, the new quality and some of them actually are not just still
6: shots anymore they're actually live you know like a sort of a video it's, it's moving you can see the leaves falling or the snow or the rain or the waterfall moving so it's pretty exciting
4: it is it's breathtaking I love the high definition man it really takes you there
6: yeah yeah that's that was a nice upgrade and we're, we're hoping to do uh, maybe add another camera too in the next year or so
4: hey, you can see the snow dusting half dome El Capitan Yosemite Falls live and in color check it out at yosemite.org Jim Taylor, KCBS.
5: It's been a wild weather day again, and we have some warnings to tell you about with KPIX 5 meteorologist Paul Hagen.
3: Still plenty of showers out there through the rest of this evening, but the showers are gradually going to wind down as we head towards early Wednesday morning. A three-day stretch of dry weather in store for us to start the month of March. A mix of clouds and chilly sunshine Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. High temperatures on Wednesday only reaching the low to mid 50s. We should hit the mid to upper 50s on Thursday and a mix of upper 50s and low 60s in the forecast on Friday. That's the least chilly day, but temperatures are still going to be at least five degrees below average. Cooler weather settles back in for the weekend a along with an unsettled weather pattern, it's not going to be a washout Saturday or Sunday, but there are going to be hit or miss showers. So be very flexible with any outdoor plans and high temperatures are going to be back to 10 to 15 degrees below normal. I'm meteorologist Paul Hagan with your KCBS KPIX 5 First Alert Forecast.
5: And we have more on the Tuesday Evening News Watch with Megan.
0: Brett, California and the United States have lofty goals for renewable energy as the country seeks to go electric. But while all of that proposed infrastructure to accommodate electric vehicles, heat pumps, and other essentials, the workforce to install and repair all of that equipment is running thin. As much needed electricians fall victims to the labor shortage in the U.S., with many of them not returning calls or having to send people to weeks long wait lists. For more, we're joined on the KCBS Ring Central Newsline now by Andy Campbell, executive director of the Energy Institute at UC Berkeley Haas. Thank you for joining us. So why is there a shortage of electricians?
6: Yes, yeah, so this has been a, a challenge for quite a while in the Bay Area. There's a few aspects of the challenge. One, there's just a lot of work. A lot of people have been doing home repair projects, but certainly, I mean, cost of living is a challenge here. Uh, so, you know, electricians, in some cases, people earning that sort of income, be moving further away, But um, a big challenge that's really emerged in the past couple of years is the lack of sort of vocational education that's available for electricians. There have been some great programs historically in the Bay Area to train people who want to go into the trade of being electricians. But the, in some cases, the teachers of those programs are finding there's more lucrative opportunities to be electricians themselves.
5: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the vocational aspect of all this, because it seems like it's so eroding at the high school level. You, it's hard to find a campus that has like an auto shop, so to speak. Why do you think that is?
6: Yeah, that's a challenge. I mean, some of it's sort of a kind of societal, you know, kind of priorities that there's been really a real focus on getting a four-year college education. Um but you know, I think there's there's kind of actually the truth is a bit different than than some people realize. Electricians today earn can earn six figure salaries, uh, but the awareness of that is is not as as great as it it should be.
0: Yeah, I can't say that I knew that. So put into perspective here, what kind of workforce it would take to accommodate how many people want to go electric right now? How big of a task would it be to fill all these jobs? Yeah, it's going to be a huge
6: task. You know, I, I don't have the numbers, but the, um, I mean, there, there basically, there's already a shortage, and and we haven't even seen the the new subsidies that are coming in through the Inflation Reduction Act that the federal government passed. You know, new state subsidies too for electric vehicles and for, for putting uh, new electric uh, appliances in in your homes. So there's a shortage before this money starts flowing, and this money is about to start flowing. In addition to that, California has on the books a. Uh, ban on sales of gasoline vehicles in the future so the the number of electric cars that's going to be arriving is going to be enormous and there's going to be a lot of need for people to uh, install charging uh, charging equipment at their homes and that's going to require electricians so it's really there's a there's a big gap between now and where we need to be
5: do you think that the state then needs to change its goals or make a policy change when phasing out things like natural gas
6: you know, I, I'd really focus on the vocational education piece of it. I mean, this this, this is a sort of work that creates uh, great jobs for people, um, you know, for people who maybe don't have a college education. It's, it's a really amazing kind of economic opportunities. But I think the gap that I would focus on is not pulling back on the goals, but instead focusing on strengthening the vo- vocational education.
0: Thank you so much for your perspective, Andy Campbell, Executive Director of the Energy Institute at UC Berkeley Haas. Subscribe to the All Local wherever you get your podcasts. And stream us on your smart speaker 24-7 by saying, play KCBS Radio.
3: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?